Let us pray. Lord, may the words that come from my mouth be inspired by your Holy Spirit. I ask this in your mighty name. Amen. Well, if you've been reading our monthly magazines, and if you haven't, please grab one on the way out and have a read, uh, you'll find that I like new technology. And I recently purchased a new toy. I bought myself an Apple HomePod. No, if you don't like Apple stuff, I'm praying for your soul. (laughs) It is not just the world's most expensive Bluetooth speaker. It's awesome. Uh, And during a recent visit from some of my school friends, one of my friends particularly said that he was going to be responsible for all the music that was emanating from my HomePod, much to our disgust. He revealed not only his incredible poor taste for current music, but reminded us of his incredible questionable taste for music of our younger years. And at one point he stepped way over the line when he said, hey Siri, play some Millie Vanilli. (laughs) I actually had to turn Siri off on my iPad because when I said that the other day, Siri actually came up and wanted to play Millie Vanilli. Um, For those of you, unlike me, who did not grow up in the golden age of music, uh, or might have forgotten the story of Millie Vanilli, uh, they were a German R&B duo who stormed onto the world scene in the late 80s, and they even won a Grammy for the best new talent in 1990. The problem was they didn't sing any of their songs. In fact, they were just models who were hired to look good, dance, and create a favourable public image. They were found out, and it all came crashing down. When we do scratch the surface of much of what makes up our world, we find much of it to be superficial, not to be as good as it looks on the outside. It's not designed to last. And much is airbrushed to make it look good in that moment. I read an amazing story uh, last week about a young mum with her first child who had airbrushed this baby's photos so it looked better on social media. That's a tip for you, Herman. So just <laughs> Maxwell doesn't need that at all. Fortunately, as a church... We should be a countercultural organisation. At our foundation is eternal life, substance for building a fruitful life. But sadly, in recent times, when the surface of the church has been scratched, we've been found sadly lacking. The world seems to have the lowest level of trust in the Christian church since, well, perhaps St Paul wrote his famous words. So what do we do? How do we fix our image problem? I heard a church leader in an interview say recently that if people can fall in love with the people of God, then people will fall in love with God. And it made me think, maybe she had a point. 
How do we make people fall in love with us? Well, we have to be lovable. And the best way that I know to be lovable is to be loving. So it seems no better time than now to dig in to the Bible's most famous and well-known passage about love. I'm sure most of us are familiar with this passage and many might have it as a special place in their own story. It was the passage that was read at Leanne and my wedding and we were by no means original. Um, I used to do an average of 70 weddings a year And I reckon about 75% of the couples that I married chose that reading. And if I was cynical, it was maybe because I was insisting that they had one Bible reading and that was the one that didn't mention God. Um, But I think there's more to it. This passage has become known for its positive message about how couples should love one another which when you think about it is somewhat ironic given St Paul never got married. And I'm pretty sure as he was writing to this group of dysfunctional Christians in Corinth that he didn't have marriage specifically in mind when he was penning these words. But everybody loves these words. Virtually everyone thinks they know what they mean. And often it's hard to find something new to say about these words. And I often used to find myself, when I was on my third or fourth wedding for a Saturday, and the fourth couple had picked the same reading, love is patient, love is kind, so I don't go yada, yada, yada. What do I say to make this seem like I authentically have something profound to say to these people? But I think sometimes the familiarity of a passage can cause us to dig a bit deeper and seek a new perspective on what God's word might be saying to us. And even if it it did have a special place and still has a special place in our hearts and our lives, there might be something more. So today I want to reclaim this passage somewhat. And I do apologise in advance if it's sort of like I'm telling you that fairy tales aren't true But when you look at this passage carefully, you find that it's not romantic at all. In fact, it's far more unsettling and confronting than we might have led ourselves to believe. I do think this passage has become somewhat superficial. But unlike Millie Vanilli, when you look behind the surface you actually find real substance and something that I believe is life-bringing to the church of today. And it's hope-bearing to those who are yet to become part of the body of Christ. The love that Paul is describing here is not an emotion at all. Love is action. These words were written during a time of of pastoral crisis in the Corinthian church. The Corinthians were abusing their freedom, refusing to share, belittling the gifts of others and boasting about their own. They were seeking recognition 
and position in the church. In his role as a pastor, Paul, far from being romantic, is actually disciplining and correcting the Corinthian Christians. I really loved how Paul, um, our Paul, read that this morning. He was kind of forceful, wasn't he? But I actually wonder whether Paul was actually crankier than that. Love is patient, love is kind to you, get this. He's telling them, overall, there's one simple thing to remember. Practice love. He says that love's not an extra spiritual gift, but it's the way that God intends us to practice all of the gifts that God's given us. When you're reading this passage outside of the whole letter, like we normally do at weddings, it might seem like love is just a virtue that we all need to aspire to and perfect. But when you read it as part of this letter, then you start to understand that love is a state of being and it's fundamental to our relationship with God. Without this love, Paul says he's nothing. God's love has been revealed to these Corinthian Jesus followers and it's their love that's supposed to respond to the love that God's given them. And from this relationship, all of their spiritual gifts emerge. The section of uh, this passage, uh, verses 4 to 7, um, without the confusing clashing symbols and prophecy-ending bits that everybody leaves out at weddings, um, actually are Paul dialoguing or summarising uh, to the Corinthians what he's already been talking about through his letter. So I'm going to take you through um, this part of, of Paul's uh, letter um, in view of what's already been said to give us a sense of, of how strong these words are. Paul says, love does not envy, but envy and strife have characterised the Corinthians. Paul says, for as long as there is jealousy and quarrelling among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving according to human inclinations? Paul says, love does not boast, but the Corinthians do. Paul says in chapter 4, why do you boast as if it were not a gift? More bluntly, in chapter 5, he says, your boasting is not a good thing. St. Paul says love is not puffed up or arrogant, but the Corinthians are. And he has a few points on this. He says in chapter 4, so that none of you will be puffed up in favour of one against another. Later in that chapter, but some of you, having become arrogant, and I will find out not the talk of these arrogant people, but their power. Chapter 5, he's pretty blunt. And you are arrogant. He mentions again in chapter 8, knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. One of the things that the Corinthians were doing um, 
we're led to understand is that some were putting themselves as holier than others because they didn't get married. And maybe it was because Paul didn't get married. They thought it was holier not to get married. And they were critical of those who did. But Paul says love is not shameful. And he teaches that if anybody wishes to marry, it's not a sin. Let them marry. Paul says love is not self-seeking. And he models this. Just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many, so that they may be saved. Paul says love doesn't delight in injustice. But some of the Corinthians have been manipulating the court system for their own advantage. So Paul says, in fact, to have lawsuits at all with one another is already a defeat for you. But you yourselves wrong and defraud and believers at that. So this passage that we've come to believe is beautiful and romantic and we trot it out at weddings and Valentine's Day is actually Paul calling the Corinthians to account for their bad behaviour. Everything he said that love is not the Corinthians are. Everything he says that love is, they are not. It's pretty provocative writing. And it demanded the Corinthians take a good, long, hard look at themselves. But as this passage over the generations has become a little more romantic and a little less profound, I wonder if we've allowed it to do the same for us. Have we allowed these words to be provocative in our lives? How would we stack up? Sometimes I wonder when I see and hear the way that Christians talk to and treat each other, whether we're really trying to be nice or loving to people at all. We regularly insist on our own way. And when this happens, Christians seem to have a special gift of cloaking self-interest with self-righteousness. Perhaps um, Gandhi was right when he said, I like your Christ. I do not like your Christians. Your Christians are so unlike your Christ. what do we do? Do we let ourselves be confronted, hang our heads in shame and sock off into the background? Well, no. This love of God is present with us here today. It's present and real in every single Christian community, including ours. It's the reality of God's presence with us in our lives and the very basis of our relationship with God in Jesus Christ. Paul's words of the primacy of love help us to understand that there are some things more important than being right, being powerful, being noticed or honoured. If those within the church do not do what they're doing with a spirit of love, then all their religious talk, all their knowledge, all their piety, all their sacrificial giving adds up to nothing without love. 
Christians are just like the salt that Jesus describes in Matthew's Gospel as losing its saltiness and being useful for nothing else but throwing on the ground and being trampled over. And you may have noticed that world we live in is looking for every possible opportunity to trample over Christians who've lost their saltiness. To regain our flavour, it's important to remember Paul's words that in the first instance, love is not a feeling but action. Love doesn't seek its own good but seeks the good of the one who is loved. Paul defines love in words that depict what love is and what love, what, what love is not. But what he's trying to do is convict those with ears to hear of their lack of love, their misunderstanding of love, their corruption of love. Paul's description of love is there to awaken the church of Corinth and the church of today to transform and renew and have our actions become much more Christ-like. They're there to be a catalyst to change. I think there's beautiful irony in the fact that the one thing that lasts forever is the one thing that is freely given away, love. Love means that we should not seek our own way, but seek first God's ways. The Holy Spirit working in an environment of love helps us to bear all things, to believe all things, and wait for it, hope in all things, and to endure all things. I wasn't very original when I came up with this theme for the year, and it's already in Paul's letter to the Corinthians. Seek first, find hope. If we can strive to model this type of love, we are more than just lovable. We are truly loving. We're not always going to get it right. We're going to be making mistakes and plenty of them. Thank God for forgiveness and grace and the power of the Holy Spirit to keep shining through us. But I do believe if people outside the church can start to fall in love with the people of God again, then I know that the power of the Holy Spirit working in and through us will enable them to fall in love with God. Can I pray? Lord, you've chosen us as fragile vessels, broken and chipped, with gifts that seem inadequate, but you lavish your love upon us. You do that through Jesus, his life, his death, his resurrection and the power of the Holy Spirit. But you also do that in the communities that, that you've surrounded us with, the families, the friends, the churches. Enable that love to really transform our behaviour. 
Help us just not to know in our head that you love us, but to live out love every day, every opportunity. We pray as a church here in Rabina, they will know us for our relationship with you because they'll know us by our love. Amen. We now continue in a time of prayer.